You know, we often say that there's only one church of Jesus Christ. There's only one church of Jesus Christ in this valley. There's only one church of Jesus Christ in all the world. The church is the called out ones, the assembly. And when Jesus Christ ascended to the heavens and sent his Holy Spirit to dwell within the lives of those who would be his followers, he sent his Holy Spirit to call out a people of his very own, eager to do what is good. That is the church. And so when we see the news events that tragically turned this week when Ukraine was invaded by Russia, our hearts go out to the people and our hearts also go out to our church because our church is there. And I want us to just spend a few moments in being able to um, pray, sincerely pray, because prayers do effectively work. And a lot of times you go, oh my gosh, what can we do? Or, you know, you know, try to help this or change that, that kind of thing. But I want us to spend a few moments just here in prayer for Ukraine. And um, not just for Ukraine, but for the people who are a part of the church of Jesus Christ. Because God can take these kinds of situations and ultimately use them to his good. We know that there's an evil behind all of the wars. And that evil is the adversary, Satan, who hates human beings made in the image of God. And he wants to destroy people. He wants to destroy this creation that God has created. And so we have an enemy to pray against. And we do that in the spiritual realm. And in the spiritual realm, there are things that we can pray for, for God to open up doors and use tragedy to bring about triumph and victory. This is one um, note given by a missionary in Russia, I mean in the Ukraine on the heels of Russia's invasion. She says this, they say this, for us this is no surprise what's happened this week. We all knew it was coming, but even still to officially announce you are in full-scale war with a delusional dictator in 2022 is a horrific thing. So many people are going to die, and for what? Please don't forget us, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, don't despair and don't grieve like those who have no hope. Instead, stand firm on the promises of the Lord Jesus. Reading and praying over Psalms is really getting me through right now. It's good to remember that God always gets justice in the end. Eternity is waiting, fellow believers. I beg of you, cry out to God to save the Ukrainian people. Open a map of Ukraine on Google and pray over it. Ask the Lord to put his hand of protection upon Maripol, upon Karaviv, upon Sumy, and upon Denpro and Kherson, and on and on and on. If you hear of news reports, please pray for the city mentioned behind those reports. There is no greater weapon you have to help us than your prayers. And then he quotes 2 Corinthians 10.1. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Cry out to God, therefore, the missionary says, for a spiritual awakening among the Russian and the Belarusian people. Pray that God would do a miracle in the Slavic nations who call themselves our brothers and that they would cast off their chains Pray that evil be defeated. May God bless and keep Ukraine. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we are very mindful in a moment such as this that we are totally helpless and powerless in the natural realm to be able to make any effect and change, especially that kind of distance halfway around the world with all the destruction and um, the amenities that are going on. Lord, we pray, though, in your spirit, because we know that in your spirit, your Spirit hears and can actively act. And so we join with many believers across this world in praying for Ukraine here this morning. 
Lord Jesus, first of all, we pray for the situation and the crisis on the ground. Lord, even as certain uh, kinds of ideas percolate, that, oh, there could be talks or other things, but yet bombs still go and the shooting is still active. We pray, God, that there would be intervention in the activity at hand concerning this war. Lord, that there would be a resolve, that there would come about a peace for this nation. And Lord, we pray not only for the Ukrainian people, we also pray for the Russian people who are caught up in this mess by their leader. And we pray, God, that you would work your will through this crisis and bring about a calm and a resolve. Lord, situations go on for decades and millenniums almost. Lord, it seems in certain geographical, political geographical areas of the world. And Lord, we know this is a troubled area, surely as many others. But Lord, we know that you, by your right hand, can bring about resolve. And we pray for that to protect the sanctity of lives. And then, Lord Jesus, we pray in your spirit for our brothers and sisters in the Ukrainian church that you could continue to empower and equip and encourage them. Lord, we know there's been a flood of refugees that are headed out of Ukraine and to Poland and other places. But, Lord, we pray specifically this morning for those Christians who are in their homeland and, Lord, who would seek to, to have a, a Sabbath day of worship to you. Lord, may they find strength through your Holy Spirit, embolden them, give them wisdom, and, Lord, give them voice. Give them voice to speak to others that are fearful around them. May they be able to point people to you, Jesus. May they find a hope, a living hope, like we're going to talk about again this morning, Lord, in knowing that you have conquered death. And though that death is before them in many ways, we pray, God, that you would intervene and bring salvations about through this war crisis and through the Ukrainian people and the Christian church there. And Lord Jesus, we pray for those who have scattered and those who are part of a dysphoria because of this, Lord. We pray, God, that you would encourage them as families have been broken apart. Lord, may they find their way to safe haven. May there be rising up to support the refugees and the scattering of people. Lord, we pray for open doors there, even with missionaries in surrounding countries, some of the alliance missionaries that we're connected with. Lord, we pray for them as they give support. Lord, may there be a strength that comes about through the body of Christ rising up in this crisis to be able to minister your grace in a tangible way to people who need you and need hope. So, Lord, we just lift these prayers to you along with millions of other believers across this nation. Lord, there is something we can do. We can seek you and we can seek your glory in your power, Lord, work as only your Holy Spirit can in the midst of tragedy to bring about triumph. And God's people said, amen. Amen and amen. If you are interested, by the way, in being able to support some of the refugee support work and those kinds of things, um, I put a link on our Facebook page uh, for the Christian Missionary Alliance that has a way to give to Ukrainian support, and you can go to our Facebook page and click that link. But if you this morning are giving uh, of your tithes and offerings in any particular way, and you would like to designate a portion um, to the Ukrainian support, just mark it as Global Missions, and all that's taken in today for Global Missions, we will make sure it gets to uh, the Alliance workers who are part of giving the support there in that area of Ukraine and the surrounding areas. We are in a series, and I got a slide. I really like that. We had some technical glitches today, so I didn't know if that would happen in what I just did. So um, we are uh, glad to be able to continue this series today, 
And I, I was amazed with the news of this week how much it applies to what we've been talking about uh, just starting last week in the book or the letter of First Peter. And the theme we've titled it is Unshakable, Unshakable Hope in Uncertain Times. And it's interesting, is it not? Just because, uh, you know, there's thousands and thousands of miles between us and Ukraine, when you see it on your television screen, the chaos and the war and, and the scattering of people and, and all that, you feel the personal touch, especially when you see like little kids being carried and hived off and let's get on buses or trains, let's get out of here and common ordinary people picking up guns and trying to fight and defend their homeland. There's something inside of us that identifies with that. So it's not way over there. It's actually right in our face through the internet and through television and otherwise. And so we have a tendency then to sort of own some of those kinds of emotions, all kinds of emotions of indignation, of, of wanting justice, of, of being able to bring help and calm and peace and it stirs within us. I made the mistake the other day of Googling unedited photos, and I should not have done that. And you're like, oh my goodness, it's just horrendous. Why does this, has to ha why does this have to happen? Well, in 1 Peter, if you recall, 1 Peter is a letter written by Peter himself, the apostle who uh, we have a long storyline, of course, with Peter. And Peter wrote this um, letter, and he starts out this way. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the province of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. He is writing to the people that have run, to the people that ran away, the people that ran away from the persecution in Rome and other places. And Rome was persecuting Christians at that time in the first century, in the 60 ADs. And he was like, oh my goodness, how do I help and encourage these Christians? And so there's a direct link when we think, and as we prayed here this morning for the Ukrainian Christians, how do we help? How do we encourage? What do those Christians need to look to in a time of such great need? And so this is front and center this morning. You know, it's interesting with this. He, he sort of gives different kinds of... Um, uh, aliases for emails, you know, different ones of us. We have different kinds of email addresses and those kinds of things. And he sort of starts down here. He says, to God's elect, you are God's elect. He has chosen you. He has called you if you're a follower and a believer of Christ. Yeah, you're scattered throughout these areas. But then he goes on and gives some others. You have been chosen. You've been a chosen people. You've been chosen by God for knowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. The Spirit has sanctified you, which is a simple, well, it's sort of not necessarily a simple word, but it's a word that means to be set apart. You've been set apart by the Spirit of God, and you're obedient. You're Jesus obeyers, okay? Obedient to Jesus Christ, and you've been sprinkled with his blood. So he has all these type of different tags. This is who you are. This is who you are. So the letter is being addressed to these people who have been scattered, that are on the run, and they are fearful for their very life, but they're also needing hope and encouragement to sustain their day-to-day -day life. He says, grace and peace be yours in abundance. So we have who the letter's addressed to. What's the purpose of the letter? Well, if we were to look at 1 Peter 5.12, it says this. At the end, it's a short letter, right? He says this, With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, 
encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. And then I like that last phrase. Stand fast in it. So he's exhorting the Christians at that time to stand fast in the amazing grace of God. We're going to come back at the close of walking through some of these verses and sing that first song that we led off with this morning. This is amazing grace. And you better get ready because we're going to sing it loud, right, Ozzy? We're going to sing it because this is the simple truth of the whole day today. Whether it's Christians that are under, under enemy attack directly with bullets in Ukraine or Christians that are seated in this building today that are under enemy attack through the flaming arrows of the one who wants to destroy your life. We need to stand fast in the amazing grace of God. And that's the purpose for which Peter wrote this letter to those a part of the dysphoria, those who were scattered at that time. Simply entitled it, Looking Into the Real Deal. Have you ever gotten something in life that you thought was real and then you found out that it was fake? You ever had any fake money? Counterfeit money that you've handled? Maybe, hopefully not. It's like, well, that's not going to work. What about something you thought of it was genuine value, and then you had it appraised, and they said, well, there's no value there whatsoever. That's not the real deal. Have you ever consciously or subconsciously wondered, do I have the real thing when it comes to my faith? Is my faith what other people I see that seem to be, you know, we call it the awakening, becoming fully alive in Christ into his mission. I don't know that I'm alive. I, I have some kind of faith, but it seems sort of dead. It seems a little powerless. Do you have the real deal? That's one question today. But the next question is, if you do have the real deal or you know you have the real deal, are you looking into it? Are you gazing into it? Are you standing fast in it? And does it bring you strength in the midst of trials and conflict and suffering? Or do you look to other places? Peter's saying you've got to look straight into the eyes of God's amazing grace you got to look straight into the eyes of the real deal of what he's given you. And you need to find strength and power and passion from his victory that he's brought into your life. Don't be dismissive. Don't let it be that of yesterday. Let it be something that's potent and powerful for today. We said this last week, that there are voices that call us to the future and voices that call us to be bound to the past. We have to decide what voice we will, that will define us and what story we choose to be in. We mentioned last week that we learn language by imitating when we hear language around us. It's the first language you learn, right? And we also learn our identity many times by what others say around us of who we are. And so there's voices that are going on. Sometimes there are voices in our heads. Sometimes they're just voices around us. Sometimes there's a voice maybe from the interior part of your, your gut, as you might think of it. 
But what voice are you listening to when it comes to your identity and who you are, especially if you are a Christ follower this morning? And that voice that you listen to will end up defining who you are and how you live out each day. If you think you're a no good for nothing kind of individual, then you'll probably end up living that way. But if you understand that you're a child of the Most High God and that you have got a destiny that's secure for you and that your sins are forgiven, then you have a power and a strength there that you need to pull into and listen to. What I want us to go to back today is the same verses we touched on last week, and then we're going to lengthen it out a little bit. And the verse that really is at the forefront, you can't get away from it, it is in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. And Peter says this, Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, in His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope. Other versions say that we have been born again. We have been born again into a living hope. So I want to take that whole understanding of new birth. Because what I find with people's identities and the voices they're listening to is many times they're listening to the voice of Satan, the adversary, who says, oh, you've never changed. You're still the same old stinky guy. Oh, you um, still make the same tumbling mistakes as you did before. There's not been any change. And what you have to do if you come to place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is to know that you've been born again into a new standing. And this new standing needs to be something that, that is resonating in your life every day. Now, if you're not a Jesus follower this morning, in fact, you might be turned off by the Jesus talk or God stuff, and you're just sort of surprised that you're here listening to things of him today, then this is all I can say. It's worthwhile, I think, to check it out, to at least hear it out, and to consider what it might be like to be born again, to have a new birth. This is something different. This is more than a mulligan, all right? This is a complete redo over, a change, a transformation. And so when you see a Christ follower, and we're not perfect by any means, when you see a Christ follower, what they're carrying with them is this new nature because they have been born again. And it's not a haughty, arrogant kind of, oh, look at me. No, it's something has changed. We've talked about it before. You're spiritually flatlined until Christ comes into your life. And when Christ comes into your life, then the heart starts beating. You are born again. You are entering into a whole new nature. And so there's these things I want to point out concerning this new nature. The new birth into a living hope equals that you are given a new nature to live differently. There's a new disposition, there's a new appetite, and there's a new capacity. Disposition, appetite, and capacity. Let me talk about the disposition for a second. You, all of us, whether you're a Christ follower or not this morning, you were created by God in a unique way. No two snowflakes are alike, right? No two human beings are alike. What you find is that God has made you in a unique way. When you get born again, when you have the new birth, God does not redo what he originally created. So if you were a shy sinner, you will be a shy Christian. If you were a zany sinner, 
You will probably be a zany Christian. All right, he's not changing your personality. Now, for me, this was one of those um, uh, cautious things for me before I really sold out my life to Jesus Christ. Because I had pictures, it's interesting, we started our Rooted group uh, that I'm a part of uh, this semester last week, and, and, and Rooted, you share a little bit of your story, and I shared a little bit of my story, and I was rethinking back through my story, and how I had this hesitancy to really give all of my life to Jesus, because I thought he was going to take two areas of my life, that he would take my career choice and my mate choice, and, and he would just like mess them up. So I don't want to give those to him, I wanted to keep those, Right? And there was something in my mind that said what God's best for me was going to be something different than what I would like or who I was. And sometimes maybe you feel this way, that if you give your life to Jesus Christ, he's going to, he's going to change some of the very personhood, your personality of what you like and who you are. Well, he is not going to radically change what he's already created, but he's going to give you a new disposition with that personality to live life out in that dimension uniquely. So don't worry about him not just killing your joy if you follow hard after him. Don't worry about him making you weird. He won't make you weird. It'll just be the new you. And the new you will have a disposition that uh, desires the things of God. So he gives you a new disposition in this new nature. He gives you a new appetite too. Now, if you are a bird, you have an appetite for worms. If you're a cat, you have an appetite for meow mix, right? I don't have an interest in either one of those, okay? Because I'm not a bird and I'm not a cat. I'm a human being, right? Well, in the new nature, God gives us a new nature. He gives us a new appetite. A sinner does not have an appetite for the things of God. It just doesn't. But someone who has had God born into their life should have an appetite for the things of God. I like to be able to do the things that God would call us to do, right? So he puts within us a new appetite, a new hunger to do the things of the Lord with this new nature. And then the third is this whole new capacity. He gives us the power to make it happen. Pigs cannot fly, can they? No, pigs cannot fly, and, you know, rabbits cannot soar either, right? And birds cannot swim underwater. Fish cannot walk on land. It's not a, they don't have the capacity to do that. Well, a sinner does not have the capacity to love and to serve God. In fact, I think it's one of the most miserable places to be in life is when you try to be religious, don't try to be religious. I'm going to go try to be good and do it. Because you don't have that nature within you to do what God's called you to do. So also people say, well, I need to clean up my act before I come to place my faith in God. Well, friends, you can't clean up your act until God comes into your life. So when you surrender and let Jesus come into your life, he gives you the new nature, the new capacity, the new power to make something happen. And so then a sinner who becomes a believer, has the capacity now to be able to serve the purposes and the pleasures of God where he could not before. So the new birth gives you a new nature. How many of you are in on that idea? I think it's a good idea. I want to be a new person. Not a weird person. Not an incompetent person or a weak person, right? 
I want to be a new person. And so I surrender my life. Jesus, you come in. You died on a cross for my sins. You were raised from the grave. You broke the power of Satan, and you can come in and forgive my life and lead my life. You take this life. You change it. I want to be born again. I don't want to be born anew into a living hope. And so Peter just says, hey, let's dial back and real think about the real deal here. Here's the real deal. Lean into it. Stand fast in it. God's amazing grace has caused you to be a new person. You've been born anew. You've been born again. Don't go there. Don't go into those other kinds of corners that you used to go into or cower in that depression like you're used to cowering. God has given you a living hope. Now, how do we know if we've been born again? Some of you may be able to point back to a, a date and a place. Had an opportunity to pray with someone last week after service for them to be born again, for Christ to come into their life. You can say, hey, on that particular day, at that particular hour, at that place, I know that's when I invited Jesus Christ into my life. Some others of you might not know that. Like, I don't really know. Am I born again? Have I? I've been, you know, been checking this out for a while. I've sort of thought I surrendered to God. Well, all of us in here, I can guarantee you, no one in this room remembers when they were born physically. You were there. Do you remember it? Oh, yeah, I came out really, you know, out of the womb, really cockeyed, and I was messed up, and then they smacked me on the bottom, and I remember all that. It was just traumatic for me, right? You had trauma when you were born. I got that memory right there, right? You don't remember when you were physically born, and it's okay in one sense if you don't remember when you're spiritually born. The question has to do, not what you remember in that particular moment, but do you have evidence that you're alive? You know you were born because you're seated here in a chair, you're watching online. You are alive physically, and it's evidenced by you walking around and talking. So, the question, are you born again into the living hope? Do you have life spiritually? Is there a new disposition? Is there a new appetite? Is there a new capacity? And if you do not have that bent, then you have right to question whether you have been born again. One of the reasons I labor this point, you got to understand this. As a pastor, I stand, have the opportunity to stand up in front of us every week normally, expound on the Word of God, and encourage us to live for God to live for Christ, and there's an accountability day coming for me. Carrie, did you tell them? Well, I did. I, I, I try to tell them, Jesus, every single week, right? There's an accountability for us to be clear. I don't want somebody of this congregation or maybe someone else that I've journeyed with in life through many years, tap me on the shoulder, we're on the line on the final day and go, hey, why didn't you tell me? I want to tell you this now. You are not born again. You have no security in heaven. You have no hope for the living hope in this life if there is not evidence of a new disposition, a new appetite, and a new capacity in your life. And you have reason to get before the Lord, maybe even on this day, and say, Jesus, 
It's a game I've been playing. Sitting in church doesn't make me a Christian. Only surrendering to you and your lordship coming into my life does. And he is faithful and just, and he will forgive the sins of every penitent sinner that comes to him. You don't have to be some blockbuster Christian and come out of the gates all fully alive and knocking it down. It may be a sweet, quiet, humble kind of early walk. But right now, can you ask yourself, is there a new living hope within you as evidenced by the new nature? Or are you not looking at the real deal? And that's not a berating word. It's really an encouraging word. Because I want you to have the real deal. And Peter said, let's look into it. Let's stand fast in this. What the new deal is, because the new deal is a living hope. And a living hope will help you to sustain life, even in the midst of dire, difficult challenges such as Ukrainian Christians this week and others. The real deal. Look into it. Make sure that you have it. He says this, Praise be to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us this new birth into a living hope. Have you ever asked yourself, why is it that I've been born again? Why do I have this living hope? You can dive deep into it. Why you? Why not someone else? Why were you drawn when your sister or your brother wasn't? Seemingly. There's only one answer for it. It's because of the mercy the great mercy of God. The mercy of God that's speaking to you maybe right now to be a follower of His. That great mercy, through His Spirit, He comes to you and He prods you and He says, come, follow me. And so we worship. We worship God in the beauty of His holiness, but we worship God for His amazing grace. This was exclamation point by Peter, remember? He's writing to people suffering he doesn't get down in there and go, oh my goodness, yeah, there's death around the corner and I don't know what's going to happen with your families and woe is this situation, that situation. No, he exhorts them out of the block on this letter to worship because of his amazing mercy and grace because of the living hope in which they have. And so our response needs to be one of worship even in the midst of suffering. And we worship Christ for this living hope because it's not just wishful thinking. It's based upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This living hope is not pop psychology of let me give you a TED's talk now for all of us to think better thoughts. If you think better thoughts, you're going to have a better life. All right, let's do that right now. Let's practice thinking better thoughts so we can have a better life. No, that's not what the hope word stands for. It's not the I hope, I wishful thing. No, this hope is a secure hope based upon the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That was their living hope. Looky there, he's alive. And because he's alive, Scripture says, and he promised that I too would live even though I would die. The living hope is based upon the solid evidence and rock of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, Lent begins this week. I think it was at Wednesday or whatever. You know, the 40 days before Easter. You're like, oh my goodness, didn't we just get over Christmas? I feel that way as a pastor a lot of times. They're like, oh, yeah, Easter's around the corner, you know. We got, you know, Good Friday service coming up and these kinds of things. Well, it's coming. Here's Lent already, right? 
Well, maybe you come from more of a church structure that celebrates Lent and all that. That's kind of cool. But here's the reality. As we walk through this letter, it's a great Lent kind of letter because this letter is going to speak powerfully about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's where the hope is. And so let's get secure. Not wishful thinking, oh, I hope, I think maybe he sort of rose. No, if you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, confess with your mouth, he, you will be saved. It's on the evidence. The living hope is on the resurrection. And it's not just the resurrection then. The resurrection just then capitulates into more. It brings you into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. I won't ask you, but I'll ask you. You don't have to raise your hand. How many of you in the earthly dimensions of life think you have an inheritance waiting for you? There's been all kinds of fights in families, division in families, because of inheritance issues. I want mine. I want that. And so there's this dickering over things of, of really temporal pettiness. Can I say that? Even if it's millions of dollars that's your inheritance. You don't take it with you after this life. It goes on to the next person, right? So we think in terms of inheritance so much in our family circles, but you as a part of God's family, as a child of God, have been given an inheritance, and this inheritance is not weak. This inheritance will not perish. It won't spoil. It won't rot away. It won't fade. This inheritance is kept for you in heaven. So stand firm. Now, this is where I believe so many times, if I was in the midst, and I've never been there, friends, maybe some of you have, especially if you were part of the military, I have never feared for my very physical life. I've never been at the end of a gunpoint, all right? But there are people who are this very weak, as we've mentioned and prayed for, and others even around the world, and other kinds of uh, crime and divisiveness that happens in all kinds of uh, cultural situations that fear for their very life. But I believe that some of the strength that comes from those who are facing persecution unto death stands right here. It stands right here that I will live even though I die. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, some of you know who he was. He was, a, he was a German preacher, and he died in the last remaining days of World War II. And it was after he ended up standing up and speaking and preaching in front of a group when he was in a prison camp that the doors opened, and some people and civilians came in and said, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, you come with us. And everybody in that room knew what, happened, what that meant. He pulled one guy off to the corner, and he said, this is the end, but it's only the beginning. This is the end, but it's only the beginning. And he was hung in the, um, the gallows of that concentration camp and died just literally within two weeks of World War II ending. Tremendous theologian, tremendous pastor. Even though I die, if this is the end, it's only the beginning. Why? Because I have an inheritance, man. I have an inheritance that that's just not some wishful, gleeful, Christian ease kind of language. No, it's secure. It's a part of my living hope. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who, through faith, are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last times. Deep words here. Not only is a, it's a, 
inheritance that's given to you, but it's kept secure. It's going to be there. It's not going to rot and spoil and fade. So there's the keeping power, the, the keeping power of you get the inheritance, but the keeping power that the, the inheritance is going to be secure to the final day when you will receive that inheritance. First Peter 1, 6 then, and all this, <clears throat> you greatly need to rejoice. Rejoice. Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Some of you this morning are in a deep trial. You're in a, you're in a crisis. You don't quite know your way out of it. It may be a health crisis, a relational crisis. It may be a financial crisis. It may be a, a crisis of, of fear and oppression in your life. And you need to come to grips with the hope that you have if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. For this hope is something to rejoice in. And even though you have grief now for a period of time, there will be a joyful, glad day, glad day when he will wipe every tear from your eye and from mine. These have come so that the person, so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by the fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. You know, it circles back around a little bit your inheritance to the genuineness of something. Some of you watch those television shows where they do the auctions and it's all about, is this the real deal, right? I don't know. Is that vase really from, is that painting really from, you know, what about the coin, whatever it may be? And there's scrutinizing of the thing to find out if it's the real deal. This is the real deal, your inheritance. It's genuine. It's genuine, and it's because of a faith that is greater than the worth of pure gold. I think it takes something like um, three or uh, four tons of gold ore to make one ounce of gold. Do you know what they do with it? They heat it all up, right? And the bad stuff floats to the top. They skim it off, and they keep doing that process till they get down. I mean, that's a lot of thousand tons. I mean, thousand pounds there of gold ore, and you get one genuine ounce of gold. Well, the grace that's been extended to you, the power of God, this new birth, it's genuine. It's genuine gold, and that's all they had during that day to sort of talk about the the genuineness kind of things of, of something. So it was the gold, and it's used this analogy. But how terrible if you lived your whole life collecting a bunch of paintings in your room, your house was decored with these paintings you thought that were of tremendous value, and then to come to find out that they were fakes. Or, which will happen in the end, if all things are burned kind of thing at the great and coming final day, that, that they don't go with you. There's nothing genuine about that inheritance. But the inheritance you have as a believer, having the new nature, will last and stand the purging of all fires in the test of time. It's genuine, Peter says. And so he's reminding them of this. So he just continues on this role. And may I remind you, verses 3 through 9 are a part of one continuous sentence. Just one sentence that he's on a roll with. So verse 8 says this, Though you have not seen him, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and a glorious joy. Well, 
What I want to point out here is this reality that we're talking about, this amazing grace of your new nature, if you're a Christ follower, is that within you is joy. It doesn't say, pump it up, get it out. It says, are filled. That's past tense. You are filled with a joy in the new birth, in this inheritance that will last forever, that will sustain you in the midst of suffering. You are filled with a joy then that needs to be expressed through you. But you don't let it express through you because you let all the other junk cloud your life. The immediate emergencies of the day, it's like, I don't know how I'm going to pay that bill. I'm not going to, how, how am I going to get my kid to go that right direction? And so we get consumed with so many of these other things rather than centering ourselves day in and day out, week in and week out, month in and month out, year in and year out, center ourselves on our identity of who we are in Christ. There's some days I wake up as a worry wart. Are you one of those people? And I immediately start listing in my head all the things that I should be worrying about. And so I got to worry about that. I got to fix that. I got to do that problem. And before you know it, your whole day's ruined and you've not even gotten out of bed yet. You're just a worry wart. Well, what Peter's exhorting them to do, and you and I in this letter, is to start our days not with worry, but to start our days with our new identity and what's secure in our inheritance for us. And so instead of getting up out of bed and checking your phone and, my gosh, what well, i got to give attention to, maybe look at Scripture, maybe have a little prayer, maybe go out and greet the kids with a, not, get your act together because we got to go to school, to say, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice in it and be glad. Where's your headspace? And Paul's saying, your headspace, if it's focused on the mercy and the, of God's amazing grace and the living hope that you have, there is a joy that will start to seep through based not on your circumstances, which change, but based upon the reality of your life. It's there. You've been filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Start your morning tapping into that reserve, not allowing the flaming arrows of the evil one the voices tell you how far short you're falling in all the misery that's ahead of you for that week. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with inexpressible joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. One day... That which we long for will be tangibly seen. But you are already on that journey. And that journey is secure. The salvation of your souls. Eternity with the Lord. Strength for today in light of that day. There's two more verses I want us to close out with here this morning. I love these sort of... If you go to verse 10. Concerning this salvation... The prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with greatest care 
trying to find out the time and the circumstances to which the Spirit of God, Christ, in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. We have the Old Testament and we have the New Testament. You're familiar with that, the Old Testament, uh, the journey of Israel and a lot of the history. You have a uh, creation story there. You have uh, the story of, uh, of the rise of Israel and, and their challenges. And you have prophets. And a lot of the prophets gave the foreknowledge that there would be a Messiah. They looked forward to the time when God's grace would come about on this earth and that there would be a Messiah. You now stand in a place and time in life that Isaiah, Jeremiah, Micah, Joel, Amos, they all longed for the prophets. They, they looked intently. They, they, they prophesied these things that there would be a coming of Messiah, but they didn't fully understand them. They didn't fully understand that it would be met in Christ. And Peter's saying, be happy about the day in which you live, the year in which you live. And this, of course, was 2,000 years ago, right? But he was saying that then we're still in the church age disposition. We're on the other side of the coming of Jesus Christ, his death, his resurrection, his ascension into heaven, and when he comes again, which will be a new era. But we stand in this church age era, and we are enlightened with this truth of the living hope. We should be encouraged. The prophets, they looked intently, trying to find the real deal and the real thing, and they didn't fully understand it, even though they prophesied it. You get to stand on this side of it. So why are you so blinded today? A lot of times because you just don't take the time to look intently. And then it says this in verse 12. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they gave that prophecy. When they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Oh, they were the forerunners to give us this hope today, to see it come through Jesus Christ and then Peter bringing it all together and helping wrap the package and say, this is the big deal. This is the real deal. And then the last line is just great of this section. Even angels long to look into these things. Why do they long to look into these things? Because, in part, they can't figure it out because they're not human beings. Jesus didn't come to earth as an angel. Jesus came to earth as a human being. And they're amazed by that. They look into it. How is it that you could give human beings a new birth there could be this change, this transformation, this new nature. You give them a new disposition. You give them a, a new uh, appetite, a new capacity. That's amazing. Look at what they did. What, look what he's done for them, the angels would say. They look intently into these things, and they're still maybe trying to figure it out. You might get interviewed when you get to heaven by a cherubim or a seraphim. And say, hey, can I, can I just talk to you about that amazing thing of how you had a new birth into a living hope? That's just amazing. 
What was it like? What was it like to go from this disposition of being angry or uh, defying God or indifferent to God to turn and repent? And then you came to Jesus, allowing him to come into your life, and then you got this new nature. How incredible is that? Can you can you tell me a little bit more? Here, let's bring the video cameras in. Let's put it, you know, let's put it out there for everybody to see. You, you, and you, if you're a Jesus follower today, rejoice in this. You have this testimony. You have this amazing grace. The angels don't. And though the prophets will be there as well because they were saved, you know, in looking ahead to Christ's coming, um, as surely as we are saved because we look back at his first coming, there'll be a lot that you, in this year of 2022, are able to share about your story of God's amazing grace. I'm going to ask the band to come up. And I I really do. I just want us to rejoice. I want us to rejoice this morning because you have been born anew. You have been born anew into a living hope. There are voices that call us to the future and voices that keep us bound to the past. What voice are you listening to? We have to decide that. It'll define us and what story we choose to live in. It'll make us who we are in this day and age. You are born again into a living hope that will never be taken away. You have a new nature. You have a new nature by God's amazing and transforming grace. And you are filled with joy, past tense, through Christ's salvation, even through trials. This morning, if you've never had the opportunity to pray to commit your life to Jesus, I want you to consider doing that. As I mentioned last week, I had the opportunity to pray with someone. We have a prayer area up here over to the right of the stage. And whether during this song or after this song, if you'd like to just pray with someone about receiving God's amazing grace and being born again, would you take that step? Would you take that step? Or maybe you came with someone and you can pray with them. Or if you're watching today from home, just simply bow your heads and pray a repentant prayer of asking the Lord to forgive your sins, to come into your life and to lead you from this day forward. And he promises he is faithful and he will bring salvation to you. We're going to ask the ushers to receive the Lord's tithes and offerings during this song. But I want to encourage us to worship. There's a lot of yucky stuff happening. Some people are experiencing it real time right now as we prayed for the people of Ukraine. But I know there's some yucky stuff happening in this room too. May you just set it aside at the feet of Jesus and worship the Savior who has filled you with his amazing grace. Sin and darkness, whose love is mighty and 
is so much stronger the king of glory the king above all kings who shakes the whole earth with holy thunder sounds like the breathless in awe and wonder the king of glory the king above all kings this is amazing grace this is unveiling love yeah. that you would take my place that you would bear my cross you lay down your
all that you've done for me. May you go in the power of the living faith which you have been given by the nature of the new birth. And may you go filled with his joy and spread it to a world in need. God bless. See you next week.